0: Good afternoon again. There's Chris. Chris, I just like to th- tell you that I thought that was a very good explanation about sin. Very clear and very simple. It means you know a lot about sin. Okay, great. So who who saw the end game, the Avengers? Wow, great so you can stay with me for three hours also (laughs) if you were able to stay there for three hours you can do that today you can do that this afternoon well aren't you glad we're here able to worship as a church together are you glad yes Uh, and you're glad that every time you worship we have the opportunity to glorify god together right isn't that one of the great things that we can do together as a church To glorify God in worship. So I'm a little hesitant to ask uh, this next question. Are you sure that every time we worship we're able to glorify God? Madam, that's a that's not a good question, is that? But is that a fair question? Are we sure that every time we worship, we're able to glorify God? So this afternoon I'd like us to think about this question. I'd like us to think about this question and uh, let me point to you some answers from the scriptures how may we truly glorify god in worship okay right uh (laughs) one first by being motivated by god alone well before i read that i'd like to explain a little bit about what what it means when you come to church, do you always check yourselves? What, is, what motivates me to go to church? Do you do that? Normally, you don't. No? You don't consciously ask before you leave your, ho- your house and say, you know, what would motivates me to go to church this afternoon? It's just like, you, know, uh, you don't ask yourself why you have to eat breakfast or lunch or supper, something like that. It's, it's a kind of part of what you do every day, kind of a habit. But some of you may have some of your own personal reasons for coming to church. I don't know what they are. But what I'm saying is there is a very important, important reason that our minds and our hearts must be prepared in going to church. Our hearts and our minds must be prepared to go to church. And what would prepare us is the right motivation. The right motivation will prepare our hearts. You know, sometimes we expect other people to motivate us, our praise leaders, our pastors. But what should motivate us to worship God? It says there's we should be motivated by God and by God alone. Exodus 22 and the Heidelberg Catechism, question 92, says say the same thing. The first commandment says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt Out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. So this commandment tells us three things that God told the Israelites about him that should motivate or move them to worship him. This should apply to us too. So we should be motivated by the knowledge of, one, who God is. I am the Lord your God. You know, when we get to know God more and more, when we get to know God more about His holiness, about His purity, about His power, it will motivate us to worship Him more and more too. But you know, if we don't grow in knowing God, we don't increase in our knowledge of God, you know, our sense of wonder, our sense of excitement, our passion for God might die down. So we look for other things to motivate us. Often, we look for our feelings. We look into our feelings. If we don't feel like worshiping God, then we give reasons. I don't feel like worshiping God. So that's enough reason not to come to church or not to pray. Second is what God has done. I brought you out of Egypt. I delivered you from the wicked slavery you know knowing what God has done to you should motivate you strongly motivate you to worship God so what is the greatest thing God has done for you what's the greatest thing God has done to you or for you what he has huh? what he has saved you that is right the greatest thing We can never, never exhaust our understanding of God's salvation in Christ to us. So that should be an inexhaustible motivation to worship and praise God. So listen to this. God's work of salvation in Christ should produce in us an eternal motivation to worship Him. Otherwise, we don't really understand that salvation of God. And third thing, the knowledge of God that should motivate us to worship Him is what God deserves. You shall have no other gods before me, an exclusive worship. Now, if we know that God deserves, that God, if we believe God, that God deserves our exclusive worship, we should great, that should greatly motivate us. If we believe that it is only God and God alone that should be worshiped, then. We shall be able to pour out all our praise. pour out all our thanksgiving. Pour out all our our, our, our uh thanksgiving and, and, and glory to God. But you know what? This is something I'd like to tell you. This is where there is a this is where an objection comes in, an obstacle comes in in Being motivated to worship God, if there is even a space in our hearts where another thing is taking the place of God, you know, in our hearts there's, you say there is God, but there is a space, where there is a space in our hearts where it's trying to rob God of all that only God deserves. So some people may immediately say, "Wala, wala, it's all God. All God that I, that I am worshiping. Only God is the God in my life." But the truth is, we may not be aware of. We may not be aware of. We may already be worshiping other things aside from God. I'm not saying you're not worshiping God, but it is possible aside from God there is something else we are we may be worshiping. That's why G- God said, "You shall have no other gods before me. There is another God in our lives. If there is another thing, if there's another thing that's is, that is taking control of us, that's taking control of our lives, as much as God is taking control, or even greater than the control of God in our lives. You know what I mean? If for example, if our fear controls us more than God, God would control us. Then that fear is our God. If our pride controls us, you know, we will we do things out of pride. But be, be, because of God, for God we won't do it. But because of pride, we'll do it. Then our pride is a greater God is in control of us. If our selfishness, you know, controls us more than the control of God in our lives, then that selfishness is. Our God, and what more? Our anger and our hatred, and uh, you know our self-centeredness. We will do everything it demands, and it it would enslave us. You know, we cannot fully, and we cannot be fully and strongly motivated to worship God if there are these things in our hearts. We may say, for all you know, for everything we say till next week, that God is the, fully deserves and we worship no other God. But if there are these gods in our hearts, you know, we will not be able, be fully motivated. They, we, these gods will try to convince us that we can't trust God alone, will try to tell us we can't love God alone, we, d- we won't fear God alone or follow God alone. Alone. These are the things that would compete for our, for, the, for our loyalty to God. So instead, what can we hear from the Lord? Instead, of saying, Yes, you are worshiping me. You are motivated to, to, to worship me alone. Instead, we will hear God's rebuke with the words He said about the Israelites' people to Isaiah, through Isaiah. These people come near to me with their mouth. And honor me with their lips, but but their hearts are really far from me, if, meaning, they are not wholeheartedly attuned to me. So let us make sure those are the three things that would motivate us to worship God: the knowledge of who God is, the knowledge of what He has done, and the knowledge that He deserves. Everything about us and in us. This is us the second teaching about God glorifying worship. So the second thing that would tell us where God's being glorified by our worship is by being sustained by God alone. So you come to church or in your quiet time, you know, you're worshiping God. You're worshiping God together. You're motivated to worship God because of who He is, what He has done, and what He deserves. But lo and behold, as you worship, as you worship, as you stand there or sit there worshiping, what happens? You know, nawala nahulog yung motivation. Ewako sa napunta, na yung motivation, nawala, na kung saan yung motivation it drops, kasi. Kung saan-saan pumupunta atensyon mo. <laughs> Tingin sa kaliwa. Kaya yung ginawa ko kanina. Tingin sa kanan. Tingin sa likod. Tingin sa kapitbahay. Tinitingnan kung ano suot. Titignan mo suot mo. Titignan mo suot niya. Titignan mo siya. Titignan mo sarili mo. Hindi mo na alam kung ano. Nawawala tuloy yung attention mo uh, sa Lord. Parang hindi mo na feel mag-worship. Hindi ka na makasunod sa Kanya. Hindi mo masustain ang worship. as uh, the spirit of worship. So, in that case, you know, when you're here, what would sustain you well, to continue on? That motivation, what would sustain you to worship, to worship God? And our second uh, lesson says, by being sustained by God alone. What do you mean by that? If you go to Exodus 32, the Israelites constructed a what? There, they constructed a. Ani yun? A A golden. A golden what? A golden calf. Dibak calf ba yon? Parang hindi. But, but, and di ng ano ng <laughs> Anyway, that's supposed to be a calf, okay? Aaron constructed that. To their minds, they were not really creating and worshipping a new god. O, Aaron built an altar in front of the calf and, you know, that calf and then what he did he announce? Tomorrow, there will be a what? A festival a festival to the Lord. So for Aaron, it appeared that Aaron identified the bull or the calf the calf with the Lord. Kasi during that time, the people generally represented deity with a bull. Yun ang representation ng Ng God, yung, bu- yung, yung calf na yon. <clears throat> the, And but then the bull, the calf represented many, many gods. Hindi Lamang Isa. Kaya sabi na ni anod nama Israelites. These are your gods. Because for them the bull or the calf represented many gods. These are your gods of so Israel who brought you up out of Egypt. They thought and believed that the Lord God was many gods who delivered them. Out of Egypt. So, why was the worship of the Israelites abominable to God? Why was it really wicked before God? It was not so much that they worshipped a false God, that wasn't really what was really wrong, but they worshipped God falsely. They worshipped God falsely. They tried to define God with their own sinful understanding. Well, how did they worship God falsely? They acted as if they could worship God according to their terms or according to their understanding. They acted as, as if their own idea of what God is is correct and that, th- that's the right way, that's the acceptable way to worship God. They didn't ask God, God, is this the right way to worship you? They just assumed on God. They wanted to worship God, that's correct, but they acted as if they already know about worshiping God. This only shows us that man is no longer capable of true and faithful worship since he has alienated himself from God with sin. So question is, if if the people of God could never know how to worship Him rightly, how would, then would they be able to sustain their right worship? They alam not know how to worship Him rightly. How they sustain and true worship? There's only one way. There would be no other way for them to know unless, unless God tells them how to. So, in His grace and in His mercy, God spoke through His leaders, through Moses, through the prophets, how He wanted to be worshipped. He revealed His instruction in the second commandment briefly. He said, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So God forbade the people from representing him by any image whatsoever. It means that God forbids any man-conceived innovation, any man-conceived invention, or any man-conceived practice, in worshiping him so what is his instruction instead his instruction was summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism 96 this is what second commandment says that we in no way make any image of God nor worship Him in any other way than what he has commanded in His Word. So if we want to worship God, all right, if we want to be sustained by, by the right worship, then we look into His Word because His Word will tell us that we would only be sustained by God and His Word in worshiping Him. Yet, when we search the Scripture concerning worship, we find something more imperative and critical in sustaining our worship than Practices and rules and 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 and, and, and uh, regulations or commands. So what is it? If you search the scripture, what will it tell you about about worship concerning worship? It commands us what to listen to Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ command? How we should worship Him and what should sustain our worship. In John chapter 4, in his conversation with uh, the Samaritan woman, Jesus revealed the ultimate word on how we could sustain, how we should worship him, and how our worship would be sustained. He says, A time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither or neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will what? Worship The Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is the spirit, and His worshippers must worship Him in spirit and in truth. What did Jesus mean by what He said? You know, many Reformed writers explained this in this way. The Spirit refers to the Holy Spirit, and truth refers to the ultimate reality of true worship which is in heaven. Now, that's easy to understand, you know, Spirit, the Holy Spirit, truth refers to the ultimate reality of true worship in heaven. So, to worship in spirit and truth is to worship God in a way that reflects the worship in heaven which we could only do through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So in sustaining a true worship, we rely on the power of the Spirit to work in us. Well, it means, it, it means this, that true worship, real worship, is an act of God's grace to us. It is not about us, it is not about what we can do by ourselves, it is about what God does in us and through us, through His Spirit. And in John 16, it says, you know you know that the Spirit is working in you to make you worship Him aright if the Spirit is leading us to Jesus Christ so that Christ may be glorified. So what does this mean? We cannot worship God, the Triune God, apart from Christ. We cannot worship God apart without Jesus Christ. Why? He is the only way, the truth, He is the only life who could lead us to God. He is our only mediator to God. So that means means no one can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ, not only in salvation but also in worship. We can only come to God the Father in worship through Jesus Christ. So in order for us to sustain a spirit-led worship we must seek the spirit's guidance to knowing, to increase to know to continually and increasingly know Jesus Christ. It means we must immerse ourselves in Jesus Christ. We must immerse ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ and as we become more and more intimate with Jesus, as we become more and more knowledgeable about Jesus, his presence and his control in our lives it would, our worship would be sustained and enlivened in spirit and in truth. So, if our worship is not grounded on Jesus, alam mo, we might be offering a fake worship. Kaya yung fake na yan, hindi lamang sa news. pwede yung fake na worship, fake yung worship if it is not grounded in Jesus Christ. So, ako linggo Hindi grounded pala ang ating worship kay Jesus Christ. Aba, fake pala ang ating pag-worship. Sayang. Hindi tatanggapin sa langit. Our worship would be like the worship that the Israelites did in Mount Sinai. Where God became angry with them. But let us thank God. If we could worship Him rightly, if we could worship right, rightly, this could be... This is what could be said about us. Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. So, you know, for us, for our worship to bring glory to God, a God-glorifying worship, we should be motivated by God alone. We should be sustained by God alone. And the third scriptural teaching about God-glorifying worship is by being focused on God alone. Let me go refer you to the Westminster Larger Catechism to help us understand what this means, being focused on God alone. It asks us, what is the chief and highest end of men? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever this means that we know we have directed ourselves on God or our worship has directed us and focused us on God alone when we are able to experience this we're able to glorify God and to enjoy him forever this is what the scripture says see I've said the Lord always before me it means you know. You're focused on God. You're focused on glorifying God. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So the result is, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. So to set the Lord always before me is to give glory to God. And when we do this, our hearts will always be glad and joyful. So this settles uh, for us, the, the two goals are linked together, you know. When you glorify God, what happens? When you glorify God, what you should be experiencing what? When you're able to glorify God in worship, what will you experience? Huh? Joy and gladness. Joy and gladness in your heart. They're like two sides of the same coin, you know. When you glorify God, it means you're able to enjoy God, enjoy his presence, enjoy his company, enjoy his fellowship, not enjoy it because he's going to give you all things. That means this that that means here negatively. If you have trouble, if you have trouble enjoying your life, enjoying God, enjoying God's presence, that means probably you're not able to truly glorify him. And if you're not able to truly glorify Him, you won't really be able to enjoy God's presence in your life. Enjoy Him. So, often, we're asked after the service, did you enjoy your worship? Were you inspired by the worship? Were you blessed by the sermon? Probably we should change that and ask ourselves, did you learn more about God? Were you excited by Him? Did the sermon deepen your relationship with God? Did you enjoy God's presence in worship? So, how would you know if your worship has led you to focus on God so that you're able to enjoy Him forever? I'm just putting the question around. How would you know if your worship? Has led you to focus on God so that you're able to enjoy Him. If you are, you watch or click on, you know, go to TED's. You know, you TED's, do you know TED? Sa TV, ay sa internet. TED. Uh, They are lectures, very nice lectures. Anyway, one lecture I read, it's about, uh, I heard, it's about a a project of the Harvard University. It was an unusual project. It commissioned uh, a study of following the lives of more than 724 persons, you know, following their lives every day, I think, year after year. For how long? 75 years, since 1938. So after 75 years, m- many of them were still alive. You know, the study asked them all sorts of personal questions. It wa- but it wanted to find out one answer. They questioned, in the spa- span of 75 years, what made you truly happy? These people of 724, what made them experience real joy? They were people from all walks of life, all educated, not educated, rich or poor, you know, with position or without position. It was a it was a. Good question. So do you know wh- what their answer was? The majority, almost all, what made them truly happy? You know what, wh- what was that? You know what was their answer? What made them truly happy? Good. Good relationship. They said for them, good relationship promoted their health, Gave them satisfying days, wholesome attitudes and emotions, and a desire to look forward to the future. So, how should this apply to our study about worship right now, to what we're talking about? This, if our worship is motivated by God alone, if our worship is sustained by God alone, if our worship is focused on God alone, then we should expect to experience the best and perfect relationship of all time, relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Our worship would surely deepen more and more our relationship with Jesus Christ. We would be able to enjoy such great fellowship with Him. Such a faithful and devoted and loving relationship would make us truly, truly joyful and enjoy our life with God. Because without God, life is not a joy. Life is not a real joy if it is not in the company of Jesus. So we can declare with the psalmist, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Because Lord, I'm motivated by you to worship you alone. I'm, motive, I'm sustained by you in worship and i am focused on you in worship. So it is my hope that every worship at Breadcome is a step, it's a big step leading us more and more to a faithful and loving relationship with God. So how we may truly glorify God in worship? Motivated by God alone, sustained by God alone, focused on God alone. So my prayer for you is this. Glorious God, it is the flame of my life to worship you. The crown and glory of my soul to adore you. My heavenly pleasure to approach you. Give me power by your spirit to help me worship. Be enlivened by your truth. Be enriched by your love. Let me live wholly to my Savior, free from distractions and hindrances, to an eternal interest in Christ. Thank you for the blood of Jesus, washed and pardoned each day by it, that I may worship you only in spirit and truth.